Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be here in Malachi chapter 2 and also chapter number 3. And um, if you're just joining with us, we've been walking through the book of Malachi, and I'll tell you, the, the messages here out of Malachi, these have been hard and these have been difficult. Um, David Moretti, he's not here this morning, uh, him and uh, Holly and Vanessa, they're homesick uh, as well, so please pray for them. But um, uh, David actually texted me uh, last week, and uh, he had said, you know, those were some hard words that I, that I needed to hear. And I, I said, me too. And, um, you know, at times, even just working through this book of Malachi, literally, I, I feel like I'm the biggest hypocrite here. I really do. Uh, because the things that, that Malachi deals with, the things that, he, that he's telling, the people pointing out things, God is just saying, yes, that's you, that's you, that's you. And it's very important that we, we always allow Scripture to examine our lives and to show us where we fall short. Uh, so that way we can look to Jesus and we can uh, look towards him and know that he's faithful. And uh, so that way we can repent and we can follow into truth. So this message here this morning, it's, it's another difficult one. It's a, it's a hard one. And... Um, the things that uh, Malachi is talking about here this morning, he's telling the people that God is tired of your wearisome words, the things that you are saying, how you're saying them. Uh, the people were actually accusing God of being unjust, uh, that God actually delighted in evil, that uh, you know they were looking around all the, the other nations uh, there and uh, they were seeing all these people getting away with wickedness, and it seemed like God was prospering them, and they were accusing God of uh, blessing them, and they're like, hey, we're the covenant people. How come you're not blessing us? And in reality, you have to look at it, uh, they were being faithless. They were the ones that were offering profane sacrifices, doing all these evil, wicked things. I mean, what hypocrisy, right? Um, and uh, God's like, I'm so tired of your words. I've become weary of them. And uh, that's kind of what we're going to be looking at uh, here this morning. And so as we read our passage this morning, we're going to start here in uh, Malachi chapter 2 and uh, start in verse 17 and continue on through uh, Malachi 3, 5. This is just a good reminder, you know, never, when you're reading scripture, don't allow the chapter and verse divisions to start a, uh, a one thought and then begin a new thought, right? Uh, chapter and verse divisions aren't inspired, right? Um, we got to keep the, the whole thought, keep it all together as we're reading and we're uh, working through uh, the passage here. And so Malachi is going to begin with a statement of truth, uh, and he's going to talk to him about this. And uh, he's trying to draw the people's attention to, to see what they've been actually doing and how they are the ones that are actually not being uh, faithful to the Lord. And this section is actually part of a larger section, which goes all the way through verse 15 in Malachi 3, but we're only going to focus here on uh, uh, through verse number 5. So this is what I want you to take away with you this morning. There is hope for wearisome words. 
There is hope for wearisome words. So let's take a note here. Uh, let's take a look at our passage, and we'll, uh, we'll read our passage here. Malachi chapter 2 and uh, verse number uh, 17 is uh, where we will begin. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. As in the days of old and in the former years... Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift, a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now remember, the people had been in Babylonian, uh, had been in Babylon for 70 years, and they had now came out of Babylonian exile. And uh, they had rebuilt the walls, they rebuilt the temple, they reinstituted temple worship. And it's been about a hundred years now, and the people now are doing a lot of the same stuff that they were doing prior to that. And God's trying to get their attention, and He's saying, I have become weary with what you're saying how you're saying it, what you're saying about me. So let's take note here a few things of uh, hope for wearisome words. Number one, hope is found in truth. Malachi's next charge here, he brings to the people is pretty rough and it's pretty personal. In order to deal with their complacency and their disobedience, God had to confront his people with truth. And this is what is needed uh, it, it, the most. It's, it's the same for us. We have to always be confronted with truth. Because if we're not confronted with truth, we will continue in paths of disobedience. And God has to always bring us back. He has to confront us with the truth and say, this is where you have gone wrong. And he brings us back to that place. And that's exactly what he does here uh, through Malachi, who's a messenger and so if there's going to be any hope for us, we as well must be confronted with truth. And so here's the truth statement, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Wow. That's hard. Can you imagine if God were to say to us, I mean, you know, I do a lot of speaking. Um, I'm vocational here, and so I do a majority of the, the, the preaching and the teaching. The eight years that I've been here, um, you know, not always, not every Sunday, but 52 Sundays, right? 52 messages over eight years. 
Can you imagine if God were to say, Mike, I am so sick of what you're saying. You have wearied me with what you're saying. Those are hard words to hear. And here, here is God's people, and they had be, God, they had be, God has become so wearied with what they were saying. He says, enough is enough. I'm tired of your talking and speaking. And Malachi is saying that the Lord is tired of the words of the skepticism that are coming from these faithless, disobedient priests and people. God's patient is worn out by their words which do not honor him or give him the glory that is due to them. Their words question his very character and his very nature. They question his sovereignty, his holiness, and his justice. And so they ask Malachi, notice the question here, but you say, how have we wearied him? I don't think we grasp the callousness of this question. This, was, this question was not asked in a sense of like unknown or I, I didn't really think about that, right? They, they had become so callous and so hard to the Lord. They're going, how have we wearied him? They didn't even get it. They didn't even understand. This was Israel had forgotten who the Lord was. Their hearts had become hardened. They had lost all spiritual discernment. And this is what happens when we decide to ignore God's word and follow his truth. We become callous and we become hard and we don't even realize that we weary the Lord with all of our questions because we've grown cold and grown hard to the very word of God. And this is what happens when we become lax and apathetic in our worship with the Lord. We become callous to God's sovereignty, his holiness, and justice. Notice the two ways that Malachi points out to them that they have wearied the Lord. Number one, he says, calling evil good and saying God delights in evil. Calling evil good and that God actually delights in evil. This is God's people. And they're saying, God, you... Evil is good. You, you, you like this and you bless this. This is so important here. Where were the eyes of the people looking? They were focused on the surrounding nations around them. They saw all these nations around them getting away with all kinds of stuff. And they weren't focused on God. They weren't focused on his truth. And they're saying, God, look at this. You're prospering all these people over here. You're, it seems like they're getting away with all this stuff. In fact, this seems to be a question all throughout Scripture. I mean, you see it in, the, in, in, in Psalms as well, that there's like this prosperity of the wicked, right? Even in our own world today, we see it seems like there's this prosperity of the wicked, that wickedness abounds, and that, that evil is, is not being punished, and it's, people are just getting away with all kinds of stuff. And they were looking at all the wickedness, and it seems if they were getting away with it and that God somehow delighted in that type of living. Now, on the surface, this seems like a pretty legitimate statement. But I think it's more important than that because it's not so much in what they were seeing, it's what they were saying. They were saying, in a sense, here we are, God's chosen people, and God's not concerned about us, the righteous chosen people. Do you see the hardness of their hearts here, the hypocrisy? Because what were they doing? 
They were offering profane sacrifices to the Lord. They were, they were allowing divorce. Here's, here's men who were married to Jewish wives, and then all of a sudden they divorced their Jewish wives and running after the world and marrying other women. I, I mean, this is what they were doing. And do you see the hypocrisy here? Do you see how they're looking at everybody else and going, God, look, you're allowing all these people to get away with this stuff. You don't care about us. God, you're not really a God of justice, are you? What were they were doing? They were taking the spotlight of truth off of themselves and putting it on other people to hide from God. And I think we do the exact same thing. They were actually saying that God was pleased with evil living. The priests modeled this type of living to the people, and in turn it showed in how the people lived as well. Truth is so important in our lives. It's so important. The priests definitely weren't telling people the truth about how they were living. They were saying and doing quite the opposite. Sure, bring your profane sacrifices. Sure, bring that, that, that sacrifice that's lame and is blind and, and blemished. Sure, God's pleased with that. Sure, sure, sure. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh God, look at all these people, all these wicked people over here. Look what they're doing. And God's like, I am so sick of your hypocrisy. He says, you are wearying me with your words. And this is why it's important to be confronted with truth. You know, no matter how large a church is or how popular a certain pastor is, if they are not confronting you with truth and telling you that you need to repent, that church's worship is contemptible to God. And God is like, I am weary with you of what you do and what you say. So what did these people do? Instead of acknowledging the truth about their own lives and how they were living, we're just going to complain to God about everybody else that's doing wickedness and not putting the light of truth on their own lives. Isn't this what Scripture tells us to do? That we need to be examining ourselves? Isn't this what Scripture tells us to do? That we need to be judging ourselves, right? And so it's so important that we confront ourselves with the truthfulness of God's word and not just look around what everybody else is doing, but that we look introspectively at ourselves. Look at the second thing of what they said. They were questioning God's character. What characteristic did they question? His justice. Notice what he says. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Where is he? Another way to ask this question is, if God exists, where is he? Now, I don't think they were asking, where is God, in that sense, right? But they were asking something like this, with all the violence and everything going on in the world, is God really upset with us and our little sins? I mean, just look at the things that are going on in our world today, right? I mean, all the wickedness that abounds. Is God really upset with how you are living and how I'm living and how we are worshiping him? I mean, he's pretty sure he's got a lot of other things that he could be concerned about. But it's really important, again, that we examine ourselves. Where is the God of justice? There's all these people dying from hunger. Children are being abused. Innocent people die from the results of wickedness every day. What kind of God is that? Why does God not judge the wicked and bless his covenant people? 
They thought that because they were the covenant people of God that they were righteous and that God must bless them if he was just. See, that is just self-righteousness. That is just, look at us. We are so this, we are so that. See, God is very concerned about how we live our lives. They become so hardened and indifferent to sin that they did not see it in their own lives, and we too act this same way. The people were saying all the wrong things about God. They said that God was no longer just. Everyone who does evil is good. Later on in chapter number 3, they say it's not worth obeying God in verse number 14. They say, why, why even serve God? It's not worth it. Verse 15, they said that God doesn't judge those who do evil, but rather lets them prosper indefinitely. This is what they're saying about God. Of course, none of these things were true because they had failed to listen to the truth about God. They invented and worshipped a different God that was okay with the way that they were living. This is why, again, it is so important that we get truth from God's word. We don't get it from secondary sources. We don't get the truth of who God is, who Jesus is from the world. The world has a Jesus and the world has a God that they love. But it's not the God of the Bible. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. They invent a Jesus that that is okay with certain things. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. And so we got to make sure that we are getting the truth from God of who he is and what he says. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus that near the end of the world that there will be many false Christs. John said that there were already many antichrists already in the world. And not the fact that there's people going around saying, I'm Jesus, which I believe that there will be. But there are people that are trying to paint a different picture of who Jesus really is. And it's important that we get our truth from who Jesus is, who God is from the word of God. And so we must get it direct from the source, which is God's word. The people in Malachi's day had a false view of who God was and were disobeying a loving, holy, and powerful God. And if we want to have hope, we're going to have to listen to his word, the truthfulness of God's word. You know, it seems like today in the world, the people have become bored with God and bored with the truthfulness of God's word. Almost like we need something else. There is nothing else. This is it. You need to fall in love with who Jesus is. You need to fall in love with the word of God, of what it says. And so hope is found in truth. Here's the second thing. Hope is fixed on Christ's coming. Now, I love the thought. Follow the thought. Here they are. They're, they're, God is becoming weary with their words, right? Where is this God of justice? Where is he? Where is he, right? They're asking. And notice this. I love this. Malachi says, behold, I'm going to send my messenger. You want the God of justice? Guess what? He's coming. He's coming. People here are saying all these things and not taking into account their own unfaithfulness and self-righteousness. And so in response to those questions, God says, notice, behold, I'm sending my messenger. Now that word behold is very interesting, okay? It means, don't miss this. Look at it very closely. Don't miss this. In fact, that word behold is used four other times here in Scripture uh, through uh, chapter 3 and chapter number four. And so don't miss this. What do, we, what do we need to make sure that we're not missing? 
where our hope should be placed. Our hope should be fixed on Christ coming. With all the wrong things being said about God, behold, I'm going to send my messenger. In this one verse, Malachi actually prophesies the coming of two messengers. Now, don't miss this, okay? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. The first messenger God will send to prepare the way for the more important messenger. Does that sound familiar? John the Baptist, that's right. Some 400 years later, because there's a 400-year period between Malachi's last message to the birth of Christ. There's 400 silent years. And guess who shows up on the scene? The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And what is he saying? Prepare the way of the Lord, right? Repent, right? Make his path straight. Matthew uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 writes this. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight his path for him. And so Malachi's prophecy is about John the Baptist, the first messenger, just like John, who preached repentance. Malachi's message was a message of repentance as well. He's saying, prepare. You need, here he's coming. He's coming. Malachi then continues. He says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The first messenger, John the Baptist, prepares the way for the second messenger. And the second messenger will appear, notice this, quickly as is the messenger of the covenants. Obviously, this is a prophecy about the second, about the coming of Jesus. But what's interesting here is unlike other uh, prophecies about Jesus by other prophets, Malachi's prophecy is actually a dual prophecy. In other words, it's not only looking forward to Jesus' first coming, but also it's looking forward to his second coming as well. And this is what a lot of the Jews had a problem with. They had a hard time understanding this and grasping this. And by the way, if we were living during that time, we would too. And they were seeing this prophecy of the coming of Christ, and he's going to do all these things. But then when Jesus did show up, that's not the prophet, that's not the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a different type of Jesus. They didn't understand these two comings of Jesus. And so both of these, Malachi predicts both of these prophecies, the first coming and the second coming. And so it's important that we see that the first coming was Jesus' life here on earth. He appeared suddenly in the temple with unknown parents. We see that in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. He was a light for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel, Luke chapter 2, verse 32. He repeated the message of repentance preached by his forerunner, John, as it says in Matthew 4, 17. It says he came preaching repentance. And his first coming was in grace and in truth. And the second coming of Jesus is a coming of judgment. There will be a reckoning of those who do not repent, Remember the people's accusation? Where's the God of justice? And Malachi says, don't worry, he's coming. You want justice? You want justice? Don't worry, he's coming. The judge is coming. And he's coming swiftly. And he'll be here. 
When the God of justice comes, he will judge every wrong thing ever done and correct every injustice. Nobody is going to get away with anything. And he will correct everything. And so the message is significant because of the messenger, the God of justice himself declares that he will come. Notice what it says. He will what? Suddenly come. He will suddenly come. This does not mean immediately, but instantaneously. Isn't that the same teaching that Jesus taught us about his coming? It would be an instant when we don't expect it. He's going to show up. When all the preparations are completed, the Lord will come when that third temple is built in full fulfillment uh, to the millennial temple that Ezekiel describes for us in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. Jesus will come, and just like the first time, there will be a messenger to announce his coming. Who will that be? The Bible tells us that there will be two messengers, two witnesses. Elijah, and some believe that it will also be Moses. And they're going to announce, and they're going to say, prepare, prepare, he's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. Back in those days when, when they used to say, prepare for the way, right, prepare, what it was was they didn't have like road crews like we have today. And what they would do is to make sure that the, that the, that the king or the dignitary would, would be able to come, they would clear the way of the road, the debris, and there might be potholes, and they'd fill those in. They don't want the, you know, the wagon all rickety and all that kind of stuff. And that's the idea, prepare the way of the Lord. And this is, this is actually a message of grace because the Lord says, I'm coming. You need to prepare for my coming. Judgment is coming. You need to do some introspection in your own life. And you need to clear out the sin in your life. You need to repent. You need to fill those potholes of sin. And you need to prepare for my coming because when I come, I'm coming as a what? A judge. And so it's very important that we heed the words of what Malachi says here. And so hope is fixed on Christ coming. And he doesn't come unannounced. He says, prepare, prepare. John said, repent and bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Notice that Malachi uses some sarcastic language here to be very personal. I love that. It's almost, this is kind of comical because look how Malachi says this. He says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you do delight. Can I ask you a question? Were they really seeking after the Lord and delighting in the Lord? Nope. You see how sarcastic he's being? He's saying, you guys don't seek the Lord and delight in the Lord because if you did, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. Right? And he's saying, you need to be prepared for his coming. Prepare yourself. Get ready. The king is coming. 1 John 3, 3 tells us, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you are waiting for the second coming of Jesus, which you should be, you know what you should be doing? Not sitting around twiddling your thumbs. You should be preparing for his coming. That means looking inside your own selves, making sure that you're prepared for his coming, purifying yourself.
seeking the Lord in true holiness. And so this leads us to the last way that we have hope. Here it is. Hope flourishes through a repentant heart. This messenger who is coming will bring judgment. And if we want to have hope in our lives, we need to have lives that are prepared for his coming. Notice what he says here. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Who? The answer is nobody. None of us. None of us can. You see, if we want to have hope in our lives, we need to have lives that show repentance. Now, don't miss the application here. Repentance is not a one-time thing, but it's a daily decision. Always repenting of sin and trusting Jesus more. Saying no to our flesh, saying no to sin, and yielding to the Spirit and the working of God in our lives. It's a daily thing. Changing our mind is repentance. Changing how we think and live and do our lives. And so how we live our lives here and now will have a profound impact in how we will live in the millennial kingdom because this is looking forward to the millennial kingdom is what he says here. And so who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And so the answer is obviously none of us because all of mankind is sinful. It is only if we have agreed with God that we are helpless sinners, believed in Jesus Christ's death on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, believing that he was buried, that he was, that he was resurrected from the grave, and putting that faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, that we are even able to stand before him. And it is only by this one way that we can endure the day of his coming or stand when he appears. But how is Christ coming? Notice what he says here. As a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. Now, it's important to understand this description of Christ. What does this mean? I believe this emphasizes the hardship of judgment and purification. Fuller soap was used to get out the really tough, stubborn stains. Many of you remember those uh, days of the infomercial, OxyClean. Hi, I'm the guy with OxyClean, right? You know, sell the OxyClean, you pour it on your thing. Get out those really tough grass stains, right? Well, Jesus is coming as a fuller soap to really get out the hard, difficult stains of sin, right? He's coming as a refiner's fire. You ever see people that, that work with, uh, with metals and, and do that, uh, melt the metals and all that kind of stuff? They, they, they heat those with a high heat and all the dross comes to the top and they skim that stuff off. Jesus is coming as a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. And this emphasizes this hardship of judgment and purification. And this is why we need to be repenting now, renouncing sin now, and choosing to live by faith the life we are called to live through Christ on a daily basis now. Judgment is coming. Jesus is coming. Now, don't misunderstand me here. If you know Christ, this is not a judgment for the wages of sin because that was taken care of on the cross. What is this a judgment of? You know, you hear people today, oh, I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be judged. Time out. I don't think you understand what, when Christ comes, what this all means. Yes, if you know Christ, Christ was judged for your sin. 
Christ bore the, the wrath of God for your sin on the cross. But guess what? As believers in Christ, if we are not living according to truth and we are living the way that we desire we want to live and we're not renouncing sin and doing what we want, we will be judged. And it's so important that we don't miss that. And so we got to heed the message of what he says. So repent, continually to repent of sin now because it will have a profound impact of how you live in the millennial kingdom how we stewarded our salvation. Now, if you're thinking, Mike, who cares? We're all going to wind up in heaven anyways. I think you have a profound misunderstanding of what eternity will be like. Eternity in heaven is not sitting on a cloud in a nightgown strumming a harp. That's not heaven. That's not it. You got to read scripture. You got to understand what scripture teaches us about all this kind of stuff. This is looking forward to the millennial kingdom. Notice what it says here, verse number three, about Christ. He will sit, who will sit? Christ will sit as a refiner and a purifier. Notice that the judgment, where, where the judgment will begin. With who? The sons of Levi, the priest. Why the priest? He answers that for us. Don't miss this. Look at the last part of verse number three and verse number four. Notice what he says here. He says, I will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Did you catch that? Offerings will be offered in the millennial kingdom. Why? Why is there going to be offerings there? I don't have time to go into all of this, but I encourage you to look it up for yourselves. But Ezekiel chapter 40 through 46 talks all about this and goes hand in hand with what Malachi is talking about here. The offerings are to be used as a memorial for what Christ did on the cross. What do we do as a memorial for Christ's sacrifice here in the church? Communion. And who's going to be offering these offerings? The priest. What does Scripture teach about us who know Christ? We are what? A royal... So what are we going to be doing in the millennial kingdom? Offering sacrifices, praising God, worshiping God, doing all of these things. And so God is not going to allow anything to go unpunished. He'll purify the sons of Levi, and if he's going to judge the sons of Levi, do you think it will be any different for us? He's going to hold us accountable. This is why it's so important that we find our hope through repentance. And we are repenting. From what Jesus taught and Paul taught and what the scriptures teach, there are places of honor and dishonor in the millennial kingdom. Even Paul said of himself, he says, that I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Not the fact that he was hoping he was going to be resurrected, but that he was going to be attained, that there was going to be this, this ability to actually be separated even more further to be used for God's uses and purpose at the resurrection. Jesus, Jesus tells us, right, the first shall be last, last shall be first, right? All these things. If you want to be the greatest, you're going to be the what? Servant of all. You want to have a place of prominence in the millennial kingdom? Then you're going to have to become the servant of all here and now. And so what you do here and now, how you live here and now, will have a profound impact 
in the millennial kingdom. And we need to understand that. This is why being saved is more than I believed in Jesus, I'm good. Let's wrap this up really quickly. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 21. This is all talking about the new heavens, new earth, all this stuff, right? Notice what John writes here, verse 1, chapter 21, Revelation. He says, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. We don't need the old earth anymore. We don't need the old heaven anymore. There's a new earth and there's a new heaven. There's a new city coming down. Look at verse number uh, 10. He says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Verse number 12, It had a great high wall. Big walls around the city. Verse number eight, it's interesting here in uh, Revelation 21. He says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Look at verse number five here in Malachi. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers against those who swear falsely, the liars, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Judgment's coming. When that, when that, when that city comes down, that new city, the Bible says there's going to be walls around the city, right? Here's these people being cast into the lake of fire, which burns with a second death. But I find this very interesting. Look at chapter number 22. Look at verse number 3. He says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will what? Worship him. We'll be worshiping Jesus. That's what we're going to be doing. Look at verse number 12. He says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. But outside the gates, who are outside the gates? The dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Verse 18, I warn everyone. Verse 19, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. From my understanding from what Scripture teaches here, there seems to be this idea, the fact that there are those that will have places of prominence and honor in the city, and there will be those that will be outside the city and not have places of prominence, and they will be in dishonor. 
There will be those that will be very near to the Lord Jesus and, very, and serve in his very presence. And there will be those that will not be able to be in his very presence. And it all depends on how you live your life now. What you're doing with your life now. Because the judge is coming and he will judge everything that we have done. And so there's hope. There is hope if we live in lives of repentance. And we say, God, I'm not going the way that you want me to, and I'm going to repent, and I'm going to live for you. Because for all of eternity, you're going to be living with the king. And so we need to heed the words of what Malachi writes here. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.